I'd invite you to turn in your Bible to the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We want to look at one verse. Kind of just expound that one verse. Really just two phrases. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 18 says this. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we are so blessed, so overwhelmed by your grace and kindness to us. Ours is paradise now because of Christ. and We thank you for that. Lord, thank you that we can worship you together today. I pray that we would be able to understand this passage in such a way as to deepen our understanding of our salvation, what you have done for us, and, and greatly help us to understand the power that is at work in our life. We thank you for your work. We thank you for what you're doing. Bless our time together around your word, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The book of 1 Corinthians here. Paul is dealing with some false teachers in the church at Corinth. Um, and it has divided the church, splendored the church, you might say. At the time of Paul, the, the, in Paul's day, there were Greek philosophers, of course. And these philosophers loved to debate. They would think through life and they would bring just all as much they could conjure up of the wisdom of man and they would bring it to bear upon upon life and they would philosophize uh, on and they would each have different views different views of of mankind different views of the origin of man uh the origin of the universe the significance of man man's final destiny uh their Man's understanding or their understanding of man's relationship between he and the gods. And they would philosophize on that. They would debate these things uh, for hours. They loved wisdom. And to them, that was wisdom. Essentially, it was just man's wisdom. A pool of ignorance, really. But it was important to them. And these philosophies... These men were getting saved. They were bringing their philosophies inside the church. And therefore, there was some splintering. There was some uh, uh, division within the church. And they were, that, those philosophies were coming into the church. It's man's wisdom competing against God's wisdom, essentially. And this is bringing, of course, confusion and difficulty into the church. And Paul was, Paul's purpose in the book of 1 Corinthians was to correct that. He wanted to... To correct the errors, but he wanted to unify the church as well. And that unity of the church comes around one thing, and that's the central focus of every believer, and that is the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul wanted them to, to focus on the gospel, be unified on the gospel. That's the point of this book. These philosophers then would come into the church, they would have to drop off their philosophy, uh, 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 get rid of their philosophy that was dividing the church and be united around the single uh, focus 
of the message of the church, and that is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that was to unite the church. Now, folks, I think we have some of that same idea, same elements that are in our day. We have many of the world's philosophies coming into the church, and many times it's, it divides. Well, if it's man's philosophy, it will divide. God's philosophy, God's wisdom will unite man. Now, is, is the, the world's philosophy coming into the church? I think you can agree that, that it is. There's a couple of things I want us to see in this, in this passage, in this message today. Number one, I want you to, I want you to have a deeper understanding of the gospel. Um, we live in a day of a shallow gospel. And I think that's the influence of man's philosophy. 20, 30 years ago, the idea was just to fill the church. And we, we developed a, a philosophy. We adopted the philosophy from the world of marketing how to get people into the church. And we, we did that. The church just flooded with people, but we got people into the church, but the church didn't get into the people. And now they're saying, they're telling us statistically that the church is losing people at record number. Number two, the second thing I want to accomplish today, I want you to uh, think with me through, is just I want you to be encouraged. I want you to be encouraged by the power of the gospel, the power of God, the power of God is at work in every believer, every believer, through the, the word of the cross. And as man's philosophy comes into the church, folks, God's power diminishes. Just think about that. As man's philosophy comes into the church, God's power diminishes. God is at work, and we need to just see God at work. So there's two phrases in this passage that I want us to see in verse 18. For the word of the cross, that's the first phrase. The second phrase is the last four verses, four words. For the power of God. Those two phrases I want us to focus on to, to better understand this, this passage, really to better understand this whole, whole book. The first phrase is the word of the cross. Now that's an interesting phrase because the cross doesn't have words, does it? It's just an inanimate object. At best, it's a symbol. And it has become the religious symbol for Christianity. It's known around the world. Everyone knows that it's a symbol for Christianity. The Red Cross has, has used that. And it's a, a symbol for them that uh, of healing and, uh, and comfort. But in Paul's day, the cross was, uh, the Roman cross was a, a symbol of death. In fact, it was a horrible death, a, really essentially a, a, cha- a torture chamber. The Bible says that cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. It was a symbol of death, but God has taken that symbol of death and turned it into, for us, for the believer, a symbol of hope and a symbol of faith. The most significant thing that ever happened on the cross was the death of our Savior, Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So we come together on this Easter Sunday and our focus is upon the resurrection of our Savior Jesus Christ. But for the believer, the resurrection makes no sense without a death, right? Before you have a resurrection, you have to have a, a death. And for the believer, the cross and the, the empty tomb are inseparable. 
We have one message. And that's the gospel. That includes the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, I want us to kind of focus on that today. Death, burial, and resurrection. And I want us to be reminded of what Christ has done for us. And he's... And I want us to just go through the, the, call it the Easter story, if you will. And I want you to put yourself in that scene. Just think about you being at the foot of the cross. You seeing all of the events that happened those three days. Let's just think about that. It started out on Thursday night where the Lord had gotten his disciples together, had a meal with them, but he dismisses Judas early, right? Judas has to go do some things, so he dismisses Judas early. early, And they then go out to the garden, and they spend some time in, in prayer. And, of course, Judas brings the Roman guards, the uh, Jewish leaders with him, and he betrays Christ. And he's handed then over to these soldiers, these Roman soldiers, and uh, they deliver him to Pilate for trial. And he's on trial. Of course, that's going to get people's attention. But Pilate asks the question, what has this man done? And he has to interview Christ, of course. And at the news of, of Jesus' trial, of course, the, the crowds begin to gather. Now, this is still early in the morning. and The, the, the priest, they would go out. And they would rouse people, sometimes maybe out of their sleep, uh, but they would get them there so that they can testify against Christ if need be. They were prepared to lie against a lie, uh, against Christ. Pilate then, he, he comes out again and says, I find no fault in this man. And the crowds, of course, are by this time are calling out, crucify him, crucify him. And to appease the crowd, Pilate uh, sends Christ away to be beaten by the Roman guards. And of course, they're going to use these leather straps. They're called the cat of nine tails. And there would be streams of, of leather with glass and pottery shards and, um, and nails, rocks in them. And they would have just ripped Christ's back just to just completely apart. Blood would have been splattered everywhere. It's a gruesome scene. In fact, it's designed to almost kill a man. And of course, Pilate brings Christ back out, thinking that the crowd is going to be uh, uh, soothed by, by the punishment that they see, but they're not. They're still crying out for his blood. So Pilate brings a basin and he washes his hands and he says, his blood is on your head, not mine. And the people cry out, give us Barabbas, crucify him. So they send him to the cross. Pilate delivers uh, Christ over to this centurion, this guard. And he is in charge to put Christ on the cross until he is, until he is dead. And the guards, of course, uh, take him. They put a robe on him. Um, of course, irritating his back even more, crowns of thorn on his head. And they bowed down and they worshipped him. Mockingly, right? We understand that. And they mocked. And they said, hell, king of the Jews. And they just, they just laughed. And you can hear them just mocking him. They let him out 
into the streets of Jerusalem, down through what we would call the Via Della Rosa. It's what it is. It's what we call it today. And Christ buckles under the, the weight of that cross. And they grab Simon to carry the cross through the streets and through up to Calvary, the place of the skull. And there he's crucified. Crucified on this cross. And like I said, it's more of a, a public torture chamber than anything else. Sometimes people would lay, uh, be on the cross for hours, sometimes even days before they would die. They would just be tortured to death. And they'd take the Christ's clothes off and they laid his hands out and they would, they would nail him to this cross beam. Not with little tiny nails. That wouldn't work. It would have to be more like spikes to get to keep him up there, they would raise him up then and put him on this upright beam. And they would nail his feet then to the upright beam. And so he would be hanging, hanging in pain. It would be hang, painful to hang there and to catch his breath because everything's waiting on his lungs. To catch his breath, he, he, breath, he would have to push up. And of course, his, nail being, his uh, feet being nailed to the beam was creating more pain. So it's constant pain. Constant pain between his hands and his feet. And he hangs there for hours. A perfect death chamber. And eventually he would suffocate because he he couldn't push up anymore with with no strength. And and eventually he would just, he would die on that way. And of course then he was hanging between two thieves. They put a sign over his head of the crimes that he had committed. And there was only one crime. And Pilate said to put in Jesus the Nazarene, the king of the Jews, and put it in three different languages. And, of course, the priest said, no, don't say the king of the Jews. No, he, say, he said he was the king of the Jews. They protest. Pilate says, I've written what I've written. And it stayed. John, of course, paints the scene for us a little bit more. He, he puts uh, Jesus, his mother, down closer to the cross. Some of his family standing around. Jesus has a conversation with them to transfer the responsibility to his mother. Mary Magdalene, some of the other ladies are on the outskirts. Some of the disciples are on the outskirts looking in. The Roman soldiers are at the foot of the cross taking the garments that are taken from him. And they're gambling. Who's going to get his clothes? Christ looks down and says, Father, forgive them. Because they do not know what they're doing. People then begin to hurl insults at him. That would have been typical that day. The chief priest, of course, is there. If, uh, in saying if he is the Christ, the Messiah that was to come, that they were anticipating, then let him save himself. Of course, the, chief, uh, the, uh, the thief on the cross said, Oh, if he can save himself, let him save us too. The other thief then chimes in and says, do you not fear God? And he turns to Christ and he says, um, he looks at Christ and uh, says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, this day you will be with me in in paradise. Of course, then we hear the sayings of Jesus on the cross. I thirst. They put vinegar in a sponge and reach it up to him. And it was more of uh, anesthesia. Kind of thing to kind of numb the pain. He rejects that. And at noon, everything gets dark. The sun just uh, just gets dark. Not sure how. For three hours. At the end of that time, he cries out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Cries out again, into thy hands 
I commend my spirit. And the, the final cry is to telestai, it is finished. Now, those are curious words for a man who's hanging on the cross, who's, who is dying. His last words, it is finished, and then he dies. His spirit leaves his body. And, and then we find out from other sources here in the, in the Gospels that the veil in the temple was torn from the top to the bottom. There was uh, <clears throat> graves that were un open or opened and the dead came out of those graves and were walking in Jerusalem. There was a, an earthquake so so uh, that shook everything so violently that the the centurion who was in charge, he said, truly, this is the son of God. He, he knew something significant was happening here. And there was a rush then to get Christ off the cross because because of the Passover. And so they would normally go and break the legs of, of the men. And they came to Christ and his legs had already been broken. They would break the legs because they couldn't be able to push up any longer. If they, their legs were broken and they would suffocate sooner. And that would hurry up the, the dying process. And of course that was fulfilling some passages from the Old Testament. But then he was, he was buried. Joseph of Arimathea approached Pilate, asked for the body. Nicodemus chimes in. He brings 100 pounds of, of myrrh and alloy to anoint Christ's body. And they wrapped him with linen cloths and prepared that body uh, to preserve that body. And then they placed him in a tomb. The priests remembered Christ's sayings that claimed that he would raise again. So they go to Pilate and said... Uh, he, he claimed this, and so Pilate then puts guards on the, at the gravesite, at the tomb. <clears throat> and the, the guards said they secured that tomb, and they sealed it. And then it became a waiting game. Just waiting. See what happens. Of course, and then on the third day, Christ arose. First day of the week, Sunday. The women of Jesus' ministry, his mother as well, some of these women, they, they, wanted, they were taking spices down to anoint his body. The other spices would have evaporated because of the heat in that area, uh, that time of the year. And they, could have, they couldn't stand the thought of their Savior's body being decaying as it, as it was. And of course, you remember the conversation that they were having. Who's going to roll the stone away? And by the time they got there, though, the problem was solved. The angel tells them, hey, look in and see. Remember? Remember what he said? He said he was going to raise from the dead, and, and he did. They looked in, saw the empty tomb. Mary, Mary Magdalene was outside the tomb, wandering in the garden, and, and she was crying, and she sees Jesus. And Jesus says, why are you crying? And then she recognizes him. And true enough, he, he has risen from the dead. Of course, they run, tell the, the disciples. Peter runs first, comes back to and verifies again. There's, the, the body is gone. The, the linen cloths are, are there and the tomb is empty. The guards have already gone. They had already gone to the, the chief priest to tell the chief priest, hey, look, here's what happened. 
And the chief priest said, well, you lie and say that the disciples came and stole his body away while you were asleep and we'll make it right with Pilate so you don't lose your job. Verifying again, verifying that he had risen from the dead. After, after his resurrection, Christ was seen by over 500, two on the road to Emmaus. He met with his disciples in the upper room in Jerusalem. And then he arranged to meet with them in Galilee. And then John sees the risen Christ in Revelation chapter 1 verse 18. Where Christ says, I was dead and behold, I live forever and ever. Christ has risen. Christ has risen. And that's the account. That's the account. That's the story that we we have but when you just lay it out in factual evidence like that, I mean, you can look it up in, in history. All of those things can be verified from history. Those are the things that, that we believe, but it just seems like there's something missing there, and you'd be right. It's, it's more than just the, the factual information there. We, we see those facts. We believe in those facts. But there's something more there to this to this message that we have. Christ, or Paul, I'm sorry, Peter knew this. And when he preached uh, on the, the first day of the, the uh, first day of Pentecost, he, he gets up and he preaches and he uh, convicts the Jewish people. He says, You were the one that crucified him, but he reminds them that, that God had a bigger picture, a bigger plan going on here. And I want you to see this. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Same book. Chapter 15, verse 1. says, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I have preached to you. So this is the gospel. This is the message that we proclaim. I preached to you, which you also received, and which you also stand by which you also are saved. So this is the gospel. We, we, we are saved through this gospel. We stand in this gospel. We hold fast to this gospel. If you hold fast to the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, unless you don't believe, unless you're not really putting your faith and trust in this gospel. And here it is. For I delivered to you as of first importance. This is the central focus. This is the most important thing. The Christian life. First importance, he says, what I received, that Christ died. Now, here's the next three words. Christ died. And he says, for our sins. Boy, that makes all the difference in the world. Christ died for our sins. What? According to the scripture. And that he was buried. And that he rose on the third day according to the scripture. The the Authority here is the scripture says this. Scripture says this. For our sins. That is so key. There's another passage. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You, you have to have the context. The, the facts of the, the death, burial, and resurrection has to be put in a context. And here's the context. He made him who knew no sin. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. What's missing 
is this idea of substitution. He was substituted. Instead of Carl Dingus hanging on the cross, it was Christ hanging on the cross. Let me give you one more. Galatians chapter 2, verse 16. says this, Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. Faith in Christ. Even we have believed in Christ, so that we may be justified by faith in Him, not by the works of the law, since by the works of the law, no flesh is justified. There's a substitutionary element that, that is often missing. Go back to our passage in 1 Corinthians. Let me show you this, because the key phrase here is, in Christ. And Paul uses this three times in this one passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ. In Christ. Christ substituted, instead of us hanging on the cross, Christ hung on the cross. He was a substitute for us. In chapter 1, verse 4, I thank my God always concerning you. For the grace of God, which was given to us, given us in Christ Jesus. That's the key phrase in Christ. We are then placed in Christ at that moment of salvation. At that moment, we place our faith in Christ. We are placed in Christ. He substituted. He was substituted for for us. We get the advantage then of of his death. We get the advantage of his resurrection. Let me give you one more. Verse 30, the end of that same chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. But by his doing, you are what? In Christ. God is the one at work, and he is the one that places us in Christ, who became for us. So, so for us, then he became for us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Substitution is the doctrine of substitutionary atonement. That's what we see. The, the substitutionary factor here has to be put in. He was a substitution for an, an atonement for our sins. So instead of us hanging on the cross, it was Christ hanging on the cross. It, it should have been Carl Dingus up there that was put on trial. It should have been Carl Dingus that was mocked. And people hurling insult, insults. It should have been my pain. I should have been the one beaten with the cat of nine tails. I should have been the one killed. But I was placed in Christ. And he took all of that for me. And this is the phrase that's so important within Scripture. It's in Christ is, is uh, spelled out in Scripture in the New Testament 96 times. We are said to be in Christ. Christ. And I want to sh- I want to show these to you. Now, this is I'm just going to give you a few. Actually, 20, 28 of them. Here they are. Our faith is in Christ. We're justified and redeemed in Christ. We are baptized into Christ. We have eternal life in Christ. We have no condemnation to those who are what? In Christ. 
We are secured in Christ. We are united in Christ. We are sanctified in Christ. We have grace in Christ. Our hope is in Christ. We are made alive in Christ. Second Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21. I love this verse. Now, he who established us, who is it that established? Now, he who established us with you in Christ and anointed us is God. God is the one who is doing this, this work. The old covenant is removed in Christ. The new, uh, new creation, we're new creations in Christ. We're rec- reconciled to God in Christ. We have freedoms in Christ. Brothers and sisters or sons and daughters in Christ. We have every spiritual blessing in Christ. We are sealed in the heavenly places in Christ. We're created in Christ. We are brought near in Christ. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 11. This is a, another wonderful one. God's whole eternal purpose is carried out in Christ. It's the central focus, the central figure, the central event. The, the cross of Christ. That one event. Everything came down to that one thing. The glory of the church is in Christ. The forgiveness is in Christ. Our hearts and minds are guarded in Christ. Brothers and sisters in Christ. And when we die, we die where? In Christ. And then we have peace. First Peter chapter 5, verse 14. Wonderful. In Christ. Our, our message is simple. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But we cannot leave out the element of substitution. That we are placed in Christ. He took our place. Now go back to our, our passage. Because I want you to see how Paul applies this. First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21. He says this. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. The, the world, with all of the, the Greek philosophers, they didn't come to know God through their wisdom. Well, how did they come to know God? For God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. How are we saved? It's through one message, folks. One message. It's not, it's not wisdom of man. It is one message. And that is the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is the word of the cross. That's the word of the cross. That's our message. One message. And, and to the world, he says, it's foolish. This, is a, this doesn't even make sense. Why would you kill off your, your hero? There's no bells and whistles to this philosophy. But that's our message. And Paul says that's what we preach. He says, verse 22, he says, For indeed the Jews seek for a sign. They're, they're looking for some miracles. The Greeks, they're searching for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews a stumbling block, to the Gentiles foolishness. But we preach Christ crucified. That's our message. One single message. And that's amazing to me. We have a noisy world today. Philosophies, opinions, issues, and, and I believe that those sometimes, they, they crowd our thinking and they muddle our message to the world. But we have one single message, and that is Christ crucified. And it has to be in the context of man's sinfulness to understand that. The message is not complete without that backdrop. I, I can tell you, I can tell you, I'm going fishing. And you assume in your mind, okay, I'm going fishing maybe at a lake or at a stream and I'm going to fish. But if I say, I'm going to go fish in a barrel, that changes everything. 
Context matters, doesn't it? Or, I'm going to go fish with sticks of dynamite, right? Well, that changes everything. Context matters. The context of man is sin. Society's sin at large and our sin individually. And we need a substitute. And Christ was that substitute. And that one act took care of our sinfulness to those who believe. To those who believe. To those who believe. That's the the word of the cross. We have one message. It's foolishness. It sounds kind of goofy to those who are perishing. But for us who are being saved, he says, it is the power of God. The power of God. Let's think about that phrase just a little bit. The power of God. How do we see God's power? It's transforming power. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Such an important passage. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. Paul says this. Same, same church. He, he's wanting them to grasp this. And he says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ... There's our phrase. Anyone is in Christ. He is a a new creation. A new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. That's power. That, That simple, almost silly message that we preach has the power to completely transform a life. That's power. That's not, that's not the philosophy of, of men. It's not the wisdom of men. It's just the power of God that's seen, that's unleashed in our life. And how is it, how is it unleashed? How is it seen? There's two things. Well, well, let me point out some things here. He says, if anyone is in Christ, the most vile, wretched, wicked of sinners, anyone, anyone in Christ. And there's our phrase, in Christ His death became our death. His resurrection became our resurrection. Of course, we were sinful. We deserved it, but He did not. And we're new creatures. Completely changed from the inside out. Transformed, we might say. Christ says, born again. Whole new person. Miracle. Miraculous birth. We we, uh, love this time of year. We've been down to Florida. They had already experienced spring down there. Uh, and on our way down, you, you could just see just things exploding with uh, the trees exploding with buds. The, the idea here of uh, this, this word, the power of God, the word power there is deutimos. It's the same word that we would use for dynamite. That's kind of, that's the kind of power it is. They would have had dynamite in those days, but it would explode with growth, explode with life. That's the believer. There's a new life there that wasn't there before. It's it's there now. It just explodes from nothing. Old things have passed away. Old values, old ideas, old plans, old loves, old desires, old belief systems, old old philosophies. Old world views and priorities, they all fade. All of them have been replaced with new things. New things have come, he says. New desires, new loves, new affections. 
new inclinations, new perspective, new truths. And it just explodes into existence, explodes into existence. There's no way a person becomes a Christian without change. It just doesn't happen. It just can't happen. And to us who are being saved, Paul says, to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Why? Because that power is transforming power. It not only creates a new person right then and there, but over the period of time, over the period of time, there's growth. There's life. It's like a, a birth. We've experienced birth in our, our family the past year or two. It's just amazing. There's little babies that come out. They just cry. Not much to them, you know. Not much to look at. And then they grow. You, you see life. But then, boy, the more they grow, then they become fun. They laugh at your jokes. Your old grandpa jokes, you know. They think you, you look funny when you, you know, put something on your head or try to make them laugh. It's life. Life. Folks, that's exactly the way the Christian life is, isn't it? That's what God's power is. It's transforming power. And it comes down to the, the word of the cross, the central message that we all gather around, the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection in the backdrop of man's sinfulness. And then there's new loves. And there's things that we hate, the things that God hates, we hate. The things that God loves, we hate. Or we love. There's new desires, new perspective there. We desire to please God. That's our life. Folks, we cannot just add the gospel to our philosophy. We cannot just add the gospel to our life and not be changed. That diminishes the power of God. Diminishes the word of the cross. Diminishes what, what God can do through that message. Men, philosophy comes into the church. God's power diminishes. But when we just preach the gospel, allow the word of God to go forth and go out into the world and preach that gospel and allow that word to work and change lives, we'll see that. We'll see that power of God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, this causes us to ask ourselves, have to ask ourselves, do we see change in our life? Are we just playing Christianity? Is all of this just, these are facts that we'll, we'll agree to, but, but uh, no real substance? Lord, may we see the power of the cross. May we see the power of the gospel message transforming lives, changing people to new creations, a life where there was death there. And Lord, we come away so thankful. Thankful for the substitutionary death of Christ on that cross. It should have been me. It should have been us. Oh Lord, we're so thankful. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for transforming our life. And then thank you so much for the rich gospel that we proclaim to this world. May we be faithful. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
going to ask you to stand with me, please. I pray, is my prayer, that every person in this room is, is saved, has been placed in Christ. But if you have questions about that in your own mind and you're thinking through these things, please reach out to us. We'd love to pray with you. You could stop by any time during the week. You could see us sometime today. See me, any of our, uh, any of our elders or deacons would love to be able to help you.